Welcome back to Recruiter Insights. This is a podcast made by recruiters to give you some insight. Today, we invited Eileen from the Inner Link to share about her 10 years experience from banking and now switch to counseling. Hello. Hi, Eileen. Thanks for joining us. <laughs> Hello. Good to Hi. have you. Thanks for inviting me. It's nice Come to be here. Come to Drew with all the questions. <laughs> yeah. Sure, go ahead. I'll answer so what I can. <laughs> yeah, no. so actually, I first met Eileen in, I think when we first met, actually, it's in the dinner of the first mm. or second year of the uh, Inner Link, right? It like, was the anniversary of the Inner Link. Yeah. The anniversary dinner for the Inner Link. Yeah, yeah then I heard about I heard about your story. It's like, wow, 10 years in banking, then now switch to counseling. It's like, oh, it's my role model that <laughs> will be me in the future. Yeah, because I always want to step into counseling. Then also, I think this will be a really huge step for uh, for every people, especially like you know when counseling are quite no for people who are like you can't really earn that much in counseling. Mm-hmm. Switching your career entirely will makes people think like, hey, why do you want to switch from banking to mm-hmm. counseling? What motivates you, and also how you do this. What keeps your interest and motivations to continue your journey to pursuing master in counseling? Yeah, I guess the very first question actually will be: Can you briefly introduce yourself to our audience? Okay. Uh, let's see. What should I tell you? I am. I think you know this. I'm from Sheffield University. I graduated yes. with a law degree. So uh, I wasn't actually very interested in law. I took the law degree for essentially basic um, soft skills, things Mm. like researching, concentration, time management, all all these kind of things. Um, That's more what I took it for. I never had the idea of going into law. Uh, Then I went into the bank. Um, It was at a time, I was quite lucky actually, they were actually when CIMB had first started expanding. So I'm from CMB Bank and it was uh, it first started expanding and they were having new recruitment for new people coming in and you know I just managed to graduate at that time. So I was very lucky and I managed to go in. I went in and I spent two years at a new branch where they first mm-hmm. opened up in Getting Highlands. Mm-hmm. And then I came down to KL to work in a what we call like the CSD or like the customer. It's a it's like a back office thing where we handle staffing. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's where I was for about a year, and then mm-hmm. I moved into a projects team, mm-hmm. and I was in there for about. You know, I can't remember timeline, but I'm sure you've seen it before. But anyway, I was in the projects team. <laughs> and then uh, after that, I moved over to my last uh, department, which involved uh, foreign currency handling. Oh. Yeah. So oh, we handled lots and lots of money. Uh, right. It's not as fun as it sounds. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's really not as fun as it sounds. Well, what do you yeah. really do? Like- so we, we're the... Um, we, we work in tandem with the investment side. So investment side, the brokers will actually sell the cash to the mm-hmm. customer. So like to banks or to the corporate customers or the money changers and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And uh, what we are doing is we're actually the on the ground team. So we handle the packaging, the collection of the money and the distribution. So that's what we do. 
So yeah, so like I said, it's not it's not really as fun as it sounds. It's a lot of right. money, <laughs> but it, you know, it's not that clean either the money. So I mm. mean, actually, money. sorry, what made you want to work at a bank? Actually, just curious. There was no one. It was just convenient. Convenient. <laughs> so yeah, there was, was an opportunity, kinda... and you went for it, lah. Correct, yeah, correct. Right. So okay. at that point in time, I didn't have any real goals. I didn't have any real career goals. I didn't have any idea of what I really wanted to do. Um, it's just that I had just graduated. I happened to, well, not me, but my parents happened to know people in the industry. And they mentioned that there was an opportunity. So, so off I went. And that's how I got into it. And I think a lot of people don't realize that sometimes when you get into something, you get comfortable. Uh, time get time tends to go very fast, you know. And mm, and yeah. you, before you realize it, you've actually spent quite a long time in one place. So that's how it happened. Right. Essentially. And what kept you there, in in the bank? Well, one was the moving of departments. So mm. because it was always something new, it was always your role was different. changing. Yeah, my role kept changing, and it was interesting because I met new people, I learned different things, um, and then but the major plus point for me was actually the teams that I was working for. Uh, I have to say that in terms of teams and coworkers, I was very very lucky throughout my career. That ninety nine percent of the time, um, I worked with really good people, and that that made all the difference because work was boring, man. <laughs> work was boring. Like it's like it, it's literally people used to ask me like, "How's work?" And I'm like, "Work is work," but I enjoy the people, mm-hmm. and that's probably what kept me going. Um, the last team I had, things deteriorated a little bit near the end, and that was also one of the reasons why I kind of kickstarted myself to, you know, really like start looking for my master's program and to like really get out at the same time because I was getting near the burnout end of the candle. And I kind of realized that. So rather than like letting it uh, completely spoil everything for me, I was just kind of like, yeah, you know what? I think it's time to move on. Mm. But just curious, like at what point did you realize that, you know, you have interest in psychology? Because I think you took out a degree first. Like not many people want to take out a part-time degree. <laughs> then uh, you're pursuing your master's now. The, let me see. Um, I always had the interest. When I was doing my law degree, um, when I was in Sheffield, we, we have the option to take some electives. And I did take like mm-hmm. a sociology elective, which was very similar to this. And um, so I tried it. I liked it. But because I was right in the middle of my law degree, right? Um, it mm-hmm. wasn't really feasible to like, right? yeah, the, 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 the call her and go like, you know what? Actually, I don't want to do this. Like, I'm going to switch over because I was actually there on a twinning program. So I'm only there by the grace of like doing this program. Uh, yeah. So I finished it And then I started working Then after I worked for a while I was kind of like Yeah Okay it's a job But I'd like to But I didn't really see Like Retiring from the bank You know It's mm-hmm. like if you ask me like, What are you doing 50 years from now I really cannot imagine Saying like Oh you know I work my way up to Like god knows what level And then like I'm retiring from the bank uh, So I decided like Yeah okay I feel like I really want to move Into a psychology side Of things but to, it was kind of like an affirmation for me to do the part-time degree to see if the interest um, was strong enough that I would keep going after doing it. So it was also a test for me yep. to see whether this was really a genuine interest or whether it was just kind of like 
you know what, this was something I enjoyed in university and now that work is like really boring, I want to run away, so I'm just running away to this. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so yeah, so that's what made me actually take it up. But it was also to give me a foundation because I was moving into a new area. So I wanted to have that foundation rather than coming in completely blank. Mm. Were you able to apply, you know, while you were studying psychology as a degree, mm-hmm. you, after you completed that, like, were you able to apply that theory or things that you learned in psychology in your job in the bank? At... Uh, yeah, I mean, I apply it in life, basically. It's, it's a lot of yourself first and then only applying it to others. So, yeah, I did manage to learn some things and like to apply them in the way I work and how I approach people, mm. how I approach customers, how I approach my co-workers, mm. you know, that kind of thing. Actually, I want to ask the, sorry, I want to ask the reverse question because uh, just now Wendy said, you know, what you study in psychology, was it applicable to the bank? What about, what did you learn in the bank? Or was there anything that you learned through your uh, career before mm-hmm. going into counselling that sort of is transferable? Or how did working uh, in corporate for so long help you uh, in your current uh, career journey? Yeah. Okay, one would be being able to empathise. Uh, for the main reason being that a lot of clients we get are in corporate. You know, so I can empathize it because I've been there. You talk to me about bosses who don't talk to you. Yes, I understand. You talk to me about having to work overtime and like being doing crazy hours. Yes, I know. I understand. So <laughs> I, I used to work at 12 and come in at yeah. 9. So yeah, so that's one thing. But I think the main thing that I got from working in the bank or is, is actually not, it's actually not, Um, how do I say this? It's not specially just working at the bank, but rather working in any industry. And it's just being able to meet a variety of people from all walks of life and learning from them and, you know, learning how to accept them as they are and kind of like you you open your mind, essentially. Mm. You learn not to pass judgment because you're meeting a lot of people from very, very different backgrounds. When I was working in Genting, right, I would meet, um, I meet loads of people. I meet people from uh, retirees who come in to gamble every day, you know, wow. who, who have who have worked all their life and now they're really just kind of living their retirement life. Uh, I have had clients, customers who come in who were uh, <clears throat> from the working industry. And they'd come in with their guy, you know, and there would be issues and stuff like that. Uh, then we'd also just meet the staff. So you meet a lot of different people and you learn how to interact with them. You learn how to meet them halfway and you you learn how to take them from their point of view, if you, if you understand what I'm saying. Um, rather than your point of view from our experiences, sort of like... Yeah you learn how to see it from their perspective. And I think that comes from meeting a lot of people with different backgrounds. Yeah. So when you're dealing with, like when you're in the bank and you're dealing with, your mon- with their money and all that, right, you tend, to, you tend to know after a while because you get to see the flow and that kind of tells you something about what's going on in their life. Um, so, you know, they'll talk to you 
and that's how you learn. So you know, nobody wants to hear a judgy bank of going, yeah, every day you come and gamble, it's so much money. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Actually, quite curious, right? So after or during your degree, is it something happens or over the process you really know that I want to step into mental health related or psychology related type of a field? Anything's happened that prone you to make this kind of decision? Um, okay. So initially I was really very interested in like why do people do this? What's happening? Um I think empathizing was something that I used to do when I was younger, before I started learning this formally. Uh and it just basically when I did the sociology class, um it kind of clicked for me, you know, like it was really easy for me because this was something I really, really enjoyed. Uh, then later on, when I took the psychology program, um, learning about the theories behind it, getting to see how it's been put into use, and then using it when I interact with people really helped me kind of understand that, you know, I, I really like doing this. Um, I really like the fact that um, I can use what I know to help. And it was also that the profession itself was very suited for me because I'm not someone who likes to do big crowds. I don't like to meet a lot of people. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, and I'm not really a nine to fiver to be perfectly honest. Mm. I like some structure in my days, but I also like to be able to structure my own days. So in that sense, the this current career was very, very suitable for me because it has everything that I like to do. I like to mm. help people and I can meet them one-on-one, -on -one, and I can schedule it ahead of time, and I don't have to like meet them uh, when I'm not ready. Mm. Sort of like when you're in customer service, you just, anyone who walks in, you have to handle. Uh, that was not something that was very suitable for me. I, mm. I really, it really drained me a lot when I had to do that. How easy or difficult was it for you to, you know, make the decision to quit your job, mm -hmm. take on a master's, and... Currently, you're doing part-time. Are you doing part-time right now? Um, full, full, uh, for what? Full-time. Oh, you're full-time uh, training counsellor. Is that the title? Yes. yes. Oh, so, part-time masters or full-time masters as well? Full-time masters. So, oh. when I made the decision to pursue my masters, I resigned. So that I could dedicate my full-time, my full attention to it. Right. So, it was literally, um, I literally cut off my road. You know, was I it easy? Because you know when you or burn your bridges are that's I totally burned my bridges. Like I left my <sighs> my company, everything like just you know. You just so I was was, my savings. Bye. I'm not doing this anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. No. But my boss, my fat, my my the thing is like um because I was doing the program, my team knew that at some point it was gonna happen. Uh especially when it happens when you're doing the part time degree, right? Yeah. So my the like the people I work with were always very aware that um, I was eventually going to move. Whether I moved when I was with them or whether I moved after I left the team, uh, nobody knew. But um, it was always um, it I was always very upfront about the fact that you know this is something that I I will eventually go into. Mm, like you were preparing for it already. Yeah, so it wasn't to say a hard decision. Because the interest was already there. I think what made it difficult was making sure 
that I could sustain myself when I was doing it. Mm. And and uh, and this comes to comes with a very sort of like a sensitive issue nowadays. I don't know how sensitive it is to be honest. I just find that the internet has become very touchy about it. But we're bringing up the word of privilege, okay? And I was very privileged. I am very privileged because I don't have to rent a house. I live at home with my parents, right? Mm. Um, so I still eat the food my mother cooks. I mm. still sleep in the same house my parents have already paid for. And they you will know, pay the uh, electricity. Uh, correct. So, so a lot of the uh, a lot of my expenditures are cut down because uh-huh. basic I, needs I, are met. Really. Correct. My basic needs are there. I have shelter. I have food. I have security. Mm-hmm. So I don't have to worry about that already. So I had the privilege of like saving money to totally focus, focus all my money into that to channel all of it into that. Minusing maybe my commitments like my insurance and all that, which also I found a way around. So you know, uh, I was very lucky in that sense. But even then, I had to save up for it. So I can understand when people say it's very difficult sometimes because not everybody is that lucky. If you are married and you have kids, it's twice the mm-hmm. burden. Mm-hmm. Unless you have a very supportive partner who's really willing to haul ass with you, right? It's not gonna happen. You know, mm. if you got a partner who says, like, I really cannot or whatever, or in your situation where you are the sole breadwinner, it's going to take a lot unless you have family who can support you or you have maybe other avenues like low student study loans or something that can really buoy you up. Mm. So that that's something that I do know people take into account when they do career moves, unless you really plan ahead for it. Like, okay, I do this job now, uh, I'm going to save up within five to you know five years i'm going to start working towards my next level or my shift or whatever so right. yeah so how, how did this inner link come into picture like were you sourcing searching for all this you know there are a lot of centers around in malaysia like you know how did you choose that you know this will be the right one for me okay um i was doing my internship and a good, a very good friend of mine who is also in the same program with me mm. happened to be with the inner link when they started up. And he recommended the place to me because he and I are quite similar in what we were looking for in terms of internship places and like um, the goals of the company, the outlook of it. So he knew that I would uh, fit well with the company mottos and the, the principles. So he recommended it to me. That's how I joined actually. Oh. Yeah. I guess the question I wanted to ask is like, you know, how sustainable is this job? Because I know in Malaysia, uh, mental health is something very new and not everybody is willing to pay and uh, it's not easy to sustain in this job. Like you Mm -hmm. need to get the number of clients and I'm not quite sure in Innerling, you know, do you get the full amount or do you get a cut for every client that you see? So... Yeah. So um, it's different for every center, and like even in the inner link, you have the option of like you either become a full time staff, or you can become what we call an associate. So if you're an associate, then what you get is a percentage based on the number of customers you get. So every client you get, right, whatever fee that they are paying, then there's a percentage share lah, you know. You get a portion, they get a portion. Uh, if you are a full-time staff, it's obviously different. You'll get a fixed salary like a normal job. Huh? Oh. 
But of course, your duties will be a bit different as well. Lah. There are different commitments involved. Yeah. So in terms of sustainability, I think it's okay. Uh, I do know some people who basically uh, have started working, like not counselling. They work, but then they do counselling on the weekend. Or they find a related job, like they do their school counsellors, and then they see clients on the weekend outside of schooling hours. So in that sense, then you get a fix, you get fixed pay, and then you have that additional. Mm. So it, there are many ways to do it. Uh, sustainability, yes, there is. Um, mm. of but it's obviously like, especially in the early years, like any job, it's gonna be tight. Mm. Uh, and then you'll have to learn how to kind of market yourself. Do you, well. do you have to find your own clients, or the company will then, get these clients and they just assign to you. Depends on where you work. Like in the inner link, uh, you can do both. Oh. You can promote yourself and tell them you're working here and so and so, and then you can come and contact them. Mm. Uh, in other places, I guess depends on the need of the person. Like if if you really want to get those clients in, then and there, uh, then yeah, you can self promote some people who are maybe not so rushed. Then they'll just wait for clients to come in and request for them specifically. It's a bit different from like others because they don't really, you know, we don't, there's no advertisement that goes like, we are going to, you know, this is in a lane, we're going to, we are mental health therapy center. And then like, oh, you can contact this person or this person or this person. We, we don't have stuff like that for like our mental health centers. You, you, if you notice, it's a very kind of quiet kind of mm. Uh, mm. thing where even the advertisements are just kind of like, they're there and then he's like, oh, if you see me, like, hi. Yes. But, but they're not going to go like, hi. Yes. Just curious, uh, like, um, before studying, before step into counselling, you also know, like, the kind of, like, the maybe financial factors of this career. How mm. do you persuade yourself? I believe, like, since you're about 10 years in the bank, so the overall remuneration you get might be quite in a very quite a good level so how mm. do you persuade yourself or how do you mentally prepare yourself like when you want to switch entirely into counseling and also two years not working to kind of like support the tuition or the tuition fees by yourself what kind of the mental preparation what kind of the preparation that you have done before stepping into marketing counseling mm, I think mental preparation goes hand in hand with your planning so, like I mentioned earlier, like if you have a plan, uh, say like I plan to start working now, taking into account my basic salary is such and such, and then I aim mm-hmm. to have it at this level by say in five years in time which I want to move on and take my master's or do another degree or like switch. Uh, when you're doing that, your mental preparation is actually already being built up because you're already building mm-hmm. a path. Mm-hmm. So people who can do that, it's easier because they already like, you know, I already want to do this. I know I want to do this. I plan for it already. The difficulty yeah. comes um, if something happens and then, you know, they get a bit derailed. Uh, so then that depends on how well you can cope. Mm. Um, but for people who don't plan, uh, sometimes it depends. Like I said, one depends on your situation. Mm-hmm. Can you or can you not do it in the first place? I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sure everyone has sat there and go, like, oh, I want to change my job, man. This is terrible. I don't want to work for this. Boss sucks. Uh, 
uh, this company sucks, they, they, they don't appreciate me, I want to find somewhere else that's better, oh, I want to do this, I want to uh-huh. go home and like open bakery by myself and stuff like that. Uh-huh. Uh, idea is good. Uh, mental preparation comes in when you really sit down, take a realistic look. Financially, am I able to do that? If I do it, how do I get the money? Is it just from work? Is it from investment? If it's just from work, how long do I have to save up? What do I need to change in my life to get that kind of money that I need? Do I have to cut down somewhere? Do I maybe I skip my yearly holiday this year or the next year? Or maybe mm. I decide to go to a nearer place um, rather than spending 10000 for a tour in Europe. Do I maybe spend like 3000 <laughs> I go to Thailand? Like, sacrifice. Like, correct, correct. Uh-huh. But so if you were so sure of what you want to study, were you considering any other options out of just banking? Or counselling was the only way and you knew you wanted it? Uh, I was one of those who knew I wanted it. Mm. I knew That's it was going to be counselling, yeah. I didn't really think about any other direction. So, wow. yeah. So that, for me, that was it. Mm. And so I planned towards that. Right. So how long have you been doing this mental health thing? Of trainee counsellor, counselling? Uh, okay, so it's been... Well, it's December, right? So I started my practicum in... So it's been about a year, year and a half. I started my practicum in August during the MCO. <laughs> and then uh, we spent half a year just like waiting around. Thanks, LKM. Anyway, uh, so then we started seeing clients online. And I started from there. So it was like in August all the way till now. I took a break um, when I graduated. So I took about a two, two, two three month break. And then I just restarted seeing clients again. So it's been about a year and a half. Wow. Okay. That's nice. Um, Eileen, is there anything you don't like about your job currently? Mm. She likes everything, uh, I think. Is this your dream? Dream, dream <laughs> plane tree, so nothing that she doesn't yeah, like. It's not, it's, not, um, it's not the job I don't like. I think the thing that I don't like, which is a, something that happens to every counsellor, is the fact that we can't help as much as we wish to i i have i have clients who come in and sometimes it's like i really like i feel i don't do enough Mm. yeah Mm. so so that that sense of maybe um being unable to help as much as i would like Mm. uh that would probably be it but other than that no not really um right i really do enjoy what i'm doing right now how do you deal with that then that feeling because i mean you might feel it quite a bit, right, in this profession. Yeah, yeah. so it's a lot of self-reflection and just kind of sitting and working through it and then, you know, accepting it for the fact that this is what it is. Not. You you can't do more than what you're doing because realistically, what can you do? Yeah, you can't fix mm. everything, right? Correct. Yeah. So it's just telling yourself that. Mm. For the benefits of those who don't really understand or have vague understanding of counselling or the job as a counsellor maybe can you describe what is the role of a counsellor okay, so you can't so, solve all the problems right Right. I so, think you so, need to answer quite a lot of this kind of questions <laughs> as well, like especially switching from banking now as a counsellor you know so 
how do I put this? Okay, so counselors, in a sense, we are very much your talk therapist. I think you've heard about talk therapy. That's what we call it. Talk and as, yeah, we call it talk therapy because you essentially you come in, you talk to us, right? And the first and foremost thing that we are actually doing is we hold a safe space for the client. When you come in, right, you have you come in with the reassurance that anything you tell us is confidential. We don't tell anybody. That's the rule. That is mm-hmm. like the golden rule of the counselor. There are, of course, um, exceptions. When, but, and outside of those, normally a good counselor or an ethical counselor won't reveal any of it unless absolutely necessary or for the well-being of the client. Mm-hmm. Um, so, we don't diagnose. Okay, um, counselors do not diagnose you like for depression or that that's what the clean sites and the psychiatrists do right right i see yeah we can tell you you show signs like oh mm-hmm. there are indications you may have adhd there are indications that you may be suffering depression or you may be undergoing anxiety you have all the the, the signs of it and we can recommend that they go and get it diagnosed properly with mm-hmm. the clean site, if they want like an official mm-hmm. diagnosis, uh, right. some clients don't. You know, they're pretty okay with just having that kind of like, oh, you show symptoms. They're like, oh, okay, right. and then they mm-hmm. they work more on like we work more on helping you uh, cope with it. We teach you mm-hmm. the skills and the techniques that you need to like uh, to to live with it, like basically because right. it's a it's a um, the thing about counseling is that i know a lot of people say like oh you know when you're sick in the body you go see doctors right so when you you have uh, uh, issues with your mental health then uh, why is it wrong to see a mental th- mental health therapist like a counselor please like and you know hey like i'm all for it but i think one of the the my concerns about that kind of analogy is that then people expect it to be like a visit to the doctor. Now, the doctor sees you, the fellow goes like, okay, you take Panadol, go home, sleep, you're fine. You mm-hmm. go to the surgeon, surgeon says, okay, I got to cut you open. I'm going to do this, like in two months, you're okay. Mm-hmm. Mental health doesn't work that way. Um, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it's kind of like, if you have anxiety, I can't help you crumple the anxiety and throw it away. I teach you how to cope with it. I give you all the skills to live with it, but anxiety is going to be with you for the rest of your life. Mm. It's not going anywhere. You know, yeah. It's just mm-hmm. helping you learn how to live better with what you have. And that's essentially what counselling is. Right. I mean, uh, I think Andrea and I, we, we came from psychology background. I always have this analogy of what a counsellor is. La. It's like, it's like you know, your gym instructor. You, know, you <laughs> want to be healthy, you want to exercise, right? The instructor yeah. can only guide you. Uh, right. losing weight can't run for you yeah can't run for you, you know, can't weight. do the weights for you yeah can't, can't fix your cholesterol for you <laughs> mm. yeah, I'm here to guide you lah. yeah so that's what counsellors are essentially mm. you know they're like well mental health yeah, your mental health therapist they walk with you yeah um, they teach you the ropes but again uh, a lot of like what I tell my clients is like it, 20% is me like 80% is you mm. effort comes from mm. you you know all yeah. the grit all the hard work comes from you Right, I see. So, what's the most fulfilling part of your job as a therapist? Do you call yourself therapist? Is that the right term? Or a uh, counselor? We can call us therapist, you can call us counselor. Uh, it fits either way. 
we're, we're not we're not so like um, you know we're not so fixated on that it's just that sometimes we have to really clearly define like counselor clean psych and psychiatrist because the roles are all different yeah yeah yeah, yeah. And, and I think I found that in Malaysia sometimes people don't really get that differentiation they're kind of like oh aren't you all doing this and I don't know wait 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 hold up I don't do so, that yeah so back to Wendy's question, it's like what kind of the things you feel like is the most fulfilling so far in your counseling journey, in your counselor journey? I think it's just seeing your clients get better. Um, some clients mm-hmm. they take a longer time, but mm-hmm. you can visibly see when you think back to when you first see them, and then when you see them, say in like two or three months, and um, the posture is different face is different, the aura is different, attitude is different. And and it, it it's like it feels really good lah to to know that, you know, you've yeah. helped them kind of just get through that rough patch or like to really just get back on track. Have you ever mm. feel like you want to give out or or you know just lost your patience because uh it's not a you come to me one, two sessions and you'll be healed, right? And sometimes some people will take longer than two to three months. Have you ever encountered these kind of scenarios? Uh, no, I have been very lucky to have had clients who are pretty forward with what they're feeling. Uh-huh. And like uh, the ones who have been with me long term, are actually quite motivated to finish oh, what they're doing okay. to kind of like really move forward. So I've been very lucky in that sense. Um, I've also had clients who have told me kind of like you know I want to stop now because I feel like it's not helping mm-hmm. me uh, so yeah um, I've had those but on my end so far I haven't had one who has made me feel as like if ghosted. Uh, you know I can't yeah I can't I can't do this like wow well, no, <laughs> I, I so far no <laughs> quick questions uh, you know like counsel- because actually I had a friend who worked in special education teaching then one of the feelings mm. he got is like you know sometimes when he put a lot of effort into the kids and they're getting better mm. and better but eventually they need to get back to the normal school that makes me realise like ah there's a lot of emotions he needs to deal with himself because he constantly see the kids improving 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 and he glad that the kids can be back to the SNK or like the school there but it just had the feelings to deal with like ah, I'm happy for you but I have a lot to digest so I'm not sure if you have mm-hmm. this kind of feelings when you do counselling like you know because by the end of the day counselling are helping your clients to become better to manage their emotions mm-hmm. manage themselves then do you have the hard feelings when they become better and want to end the session it's a bittersweet kind of feeling, yeah, because the time you've had with your client has is always very meaningful. Mm. You know, they come to you for help and you've been there as like a guide for them. Um, it's bittersweet in the sense that like, it's really good that they've reached the point where they can do without mm. you. But it's also kind of sad because you already have that rapport with your client and there's that relationship mm-hmm. there. Um, but in terms of like for counsellors, it's a little bit different because we don't see them as often, mm-hmm. one thing. And they're not as dependent on us as special mm-hmm. needs. So, so a different kind of bond. Um, but you do have a bit of like a difficulty letting go. But we generally uh, don't have it as strongly because we, we are actually taught to 
maintain a certain mm-hmm. distance to maintain a certain obje- objectivity. Not supposed to be yeah. emotionally attached. Mm-hmm. Okay, Correct. You're not supposed to have that entanglement. Correct. When you feel that dependency, then you actually should be stepping up. Mm-hmm. So yeah. in a day, like how many clients can you can you cope with? Like in our job, like the max number of candidates mm-hmm. that we interview in the day is four. Like after the fourth one, right? Oh, I've done five and six before. It's really bad. After the fourth one, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> three. Three I've is the most six, I, yeah. three, I don't want to do it anymore. Four is max really like for us. Like more than that, right? I think we are not listening anymore. Or do we like nodding, right? Yeah. <laughs> uh okay. I think I've done let me think. I did about f- maybe four or five on average. But um on a busy day if it really needs to be done, you could probably push it up to six or seven. Oh, wow, that's quite a lot. Wow. And each person that's you spend yeah. about an hour with them? It's about an hour. So it also depends. If it's all one hour sessions, then it'll be about Basically. that lah. Uh, norm- but it's normally about yeah about five. So how do you day, you know imagine you listen to people's problem talk therapy right? People come to you tell problems mm-hmm. after eight hours or seven hours of listening to people. How do you cope with that? You know you take in so much. Where do you release it? And how does a counselor release it? Um. Okay. So all our lecturers, who mm-hmm. most of them were actually who are actual counsellors and most of them are practising, is to prioritise your self-care. Okay? Um, and uh, this is something that tends to fall on the wayside a lot. So we, we in actual fact, like for myself, when I've had a heavy day with clients, like if it's, if it's really like I've been seeing clients uh, almost the whole day from morning until evening, uh, when it comes to night time, I normally choose the best way to recharge for myself, which is normally to spend some time. Maybe I take about an hour, an hour and a half alone. Uh, and I just do stuff that I like. I do things that bring me joy, that help me relax. It can be anything. It can be anything you like. If you like to take a bath, bath go home and soak. Uh, for myself, is I like to read. I, I, like, I like reading like web novels. I like reading comics. Yeah. Or, and I like playing computer games. So... Like, these are the things that help me kind of, like, decompress. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just curious, um, did you feel or did you receive any judgments when you decided to switch careers? Like, did anyone judge you for doing that? I think the very first question would be, how do you tell your parents when you want to switch from banks to counsellor? I'm leaving my comfort zone with good benefits and salary. <laughs> yeah. Something so, new. So, like, um, I think I reached the age when my parents were kind of like, are you sure this is what you want to do? And I was like, yeah. It's like, can you sustain yourself? Yeah. It's okay, like, you do what you want. Uh, yeah, that wasn't a difficult situation. But I like the fact that you, you can study part-time. No, you study full-time and you're working full-time. Is that correct? No, I studied part-time for study my part-time degree, but I was working full-time at that time. Actually, that's a great option to consider because like changing career doesn't mean you have to stop completely. Correct, correct. You, if, you, if you really think about it, you can kind of like do it part-time. But it's also dependent on like what you want to do. 
and what options are there. So so one of the things about Malaysia is that they are now starting to open up to like this uh, studying working student, you know, the, mm-hmm. the working student. Mm-hmm. And that's why we've got like open university mm-hmm. and all that where they've actually started to cater to like the adult students mm-hmm. so that mm-hmm. they can work and study part-time. Mm-hmm. Um, when I did it first back then, I think we had open university and then we had Wawasan Open University. And mm-hmm. uh, the choices were very limited at that time. Mm-hmm. So this is something that's uh, starting to gain footholds. Mm-hmm. You know? I see. Mm-hmm. Right. I mean, I think some people... Sorry, back to my question about judgment. Yeah, yeah. Um, because uh, a lot of people, maybe they feel like they don't want to change career because they have a fear of being judged by their peers. Mm-hmm. I mean, apart from parents. Lah, um, because you kind of work together or you study together and then after that... You, change your career plan things like that mm-hmm. um, have you ever experienced that and I mean do you have any advice for people who want to change careers or you know so totally do something different but they have a fear of being judged um, actually to be honest like the fear of being judged comes from like, you, you've got to first of all think about why you're afraid of being judged mm-hmm. you know what what do you lose from the judgment is it is there something that they're going to lose that's important to them or is it just the fear of being judged themselves so the idea what I mean is like if you think about it if you are being judged what do you lose is it just the judgment but you know you do you lose in terms of financially do you lose anything can they cut you off are you going to get kicked out of your house what Right. I like uh, how you slid in know. your counselling tips <laughs> good yes <laughs> so simply what we want <laughs> <laughs> so quick questions because like you have been uh, full uh, you have been studying your master for two years and currently you are you almost get your license so mm-hmm. just curious like overall over these few years just want to understand how do you see like the mental health feel in Malaysia so far do you still see like it's rising or do you feel like it's stepping at the same level and how we should do better in that. Um, okay, I'm not going to lie, right? My, MCO did a lot for the mental health field. <laughs> okay, yeah. it brought it really mm. brought it to the forefront um, yeah. in that sense. So, so I'm actually stepping into the mental health field when it's like in the spotlight, you know, which, which gives us a very big advantage because su- suddenly like the government is also, you know, allocating budget to increase attention for the mental health field insurance companies even though they're there's not so much i think prudential has one and alliance has recently i think given a got a partnership with relife if i'm not mistaken where they give a discount to their members to go for counseling sessions yeah so so it's also starting there you know and then certain companies are also starting to pay attention to this for their for their staff because when mco hit you know, your staff suddenly, like, you got anxiety, you got depression. When they're coming back to work, right, um, I've heard stories about, like, people who can't go back to work because they're so used to sitting at home. They just can't do their jobs anymore. Some people mm. can't socialize because they're so used to not seeing people. Um, you know, kids have been having trouble socializing with their friends also because mm. they've been alone all this time. Yeah. Some mm. kids don't want to go to school, things like that. Mm. Uh, so it's it's brought the mental health feel very much into the spotlight. But in terms of, I think, knowledge and acceptance, 
in mm-hmm. the society, we're mm-hmm. still pretty behind. Mm-hmm. We're, we're still pretty behind. We we are the youngest generation. No, yeah, the youngest generation, which is basically generation of the mind. Ours. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How old are you guys? I have no idea. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> Are we the same age? Um, so basically, but basically, the generation after is very much more aware of mm. their mental health. You know, they they take it much more seriously. Yeah. Uh, and and there's a clash now in values, which I think also adds stress because a lot of the young generation are not working yet, or they're just starting out in the job market, which mm-hmm. means that they're still very much at home with their parents, and their parents are the previous generation. Mm-hmm. Which is the the kind of like tough it out generation, and you know they very very few of them in Asian cultures. I'm talking mm-hmm. about like in general in Asian cultures believe in mental health. It's like are you yeah. stressed? Well, just deal with it. I dealt with it, mm-hmm. which is kind of like yeah. yeah, but I didn't deal with it very well, right? <laughs> so <laughs> so yeah, you know, um, I think we could do to improve the awareness. Uh, not just awareness, but I think acceptance. Because a lot of uh, young, I think a lot of people, even older generation who have been diagnosed, they don't talk. They don't. Mm-hmm. They don't see people. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. I guess I know people who are depressed who are mm-hmm. on medication, mm-hmm. but they don't go for counseling. They don't go mm-hmm. for therapy. They just take the meds, and and I'm just kind of like, that's not going to help you, you know. But that's mm-hmm. that's it, you know. They're kind of like taking the meds, and that's that's all I'm gonna do. That's as far as I go. Uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to talk to anybody about anybody yeah. about it. I don't want anyone to know about it. I guess yeah, that's where the fear of being judged is there, like mm-hmm. people think I'm the, crazy. The I'm not normal. Right. Yeah, and you get yeah. this. Um, uh, there's still that. I'm gonna draw an analogy here, right? You know the rape joke culture. No, okay, which one? So what is the rape? The rape joke rape, culture. Rape. Rape. R A P E. Okay. Rape joke, rape joke culture is sort of like when guys get together, you know, and then you make a casual of my like, oh, do you know that girl's so hot? Like, I, mm-hmm. I like to rape her, stuff mm-hmm. like that, right? And then the other guys like laugh. Nobody says that's inappropriate, right? Mm-hmm. So this kind of statement is very similar to like the mental health kind of statement where someone sits down and you see someone like they're like, oh my God, he's going to be crazy. Something wrong in his head. And, mm-hmm. you know, this guy could have schizophrenia or something, but he's not going to tell you because... People are going around making these kind of jokes, right? If he comes out and he tells you, I have schizophrenia, they'll be like, oh, no wonder, you're sick in the head. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that little thing. Mm-hmm. So we still have a lot of people who do that and we still have a lot of uh, quiet followers. Nobody, nobody mm-hmm. like very few people will say like, hey, don't say that, you know, that's that's not nice, that's inappropriate or you know, there might be something, you know, they might be going through something. No, nobody says that. I don't hear any I don't I really don't hear a few people saying that I've done it like I say it um, I say it and so my family doesn't do that anymore because oh. I think they got kind of tired of me going like you know that shouldn't you should, that's not that's mm-hmm. not nice mom don't do that like or that don't say that you know that's not inappropriate right. I think they just got tired so they don't do it around me anymore I don't know if they do it elsewhere but they don't do it around mm-hmm. me anymore I guess like mm-hmm. that's why people need to be educated about mental health yeah so it's just that kind of like um, that compassion in society mm-hmm. is a, it's a, it's a little bit lacking, la, I think, mm-hmm. in terms of like understanding from a mental health point of view. Mm-hmm. So we could do better. Yeah. 
I think starting from what you did to help educating other people what about mental health and what we should and what we shouldn't do will slowly it's a small step but everyone did this everyone does this small step we will help Malaysia mm. to be a little bit better in mental health yeah. and less judgy of a lot of people out there I think it helps now that it's more open mm-hmm. um, after MCO with the government calling for the mental health professionals to step forward mm-hmm. and all that I think it's actually helped those who have been quietly suffering to be able mm-hmm. to like really come forward and, and say this because I've had um, I've had clients who you know they're like my family laughs at me my family laughed at me when I told them that I was having this problem it, yeah, I had no one to talk to at home that kind of thing mm-hmm. yeah nice okay I guess that's all about it today although I guess we have still quite a lot of things we want to ask but Due to the constraints of the time, I think we can call it one shot. Maybe in mm-hmm. the future, we are happy to have you back to talk more about mental health related things. So, Eileen, sure. just curious, if let's say whoever are interested to have you to become their counsellor, where they can contact you? Oh, you can contact the inner link. And, mm-hmm. you know, you caught me really off guard because I don't have their number pulled up. <laughs> one second. But yeah, I, you can you can Google the inner link T H E I N N E R L Y N K. You can contact them and let me see the admin. You can actually WhatsApp them, yeah, and the WhatsApp the number, number. The WhatsApp number is actually. Never mind. I think I will put that in the description later. Yeah. Okay. So yeah, yeah zero one zero okay. two five two one seven three four. Yeah. Uh, but I'd like to just point out that it's not just me who's at the center. We have, um, we have several licensed counselors. We have a clean site on board, and we have a couple of other trainees as well. So um, don't be afraid to come in. Um, don't be afraid about price point either. The trainees start at fifty, and then of course trainee, um, other trainee counselors like myself who are near graduation, who have graduated and waiting for license, are a bit higher. And then the license counselors, of course, higher than that. But yeah. you know, there should be someone who will meet your price point. Mm-hmm. What uh, kind of I, uh, specialization do you guys cover? Or if people are interested, you know, in in talking to a counselor, is there an area or specialization that you're in? Um, okay, or so for us, like myself, general? if we are just written down as counselors, we're general counselors. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, specializations would be stated in the profiles. But those who truly specialize, they would have um, actually gone undergone specialized training. And then it would be in their profile itself where it would write like family therapist, child therapist, uh, things like that. So we don't do that unless we actually have specialized training. So if you see counselor, we are basically generally trained. And we do see all, but if we find that maybe you would benefit from a more specialized uh, therapist, then, you know, that's our duty to let you know that we suggest oh. that maybe you should see someone. Like for those who have not that tried it before, can they come and try out like just one session? Like yes, yes. Um, I think a lot of people don't know this, but uh, you can come in and meet a therapist, and if you find that you don't click with them, you can actually change. 
Mm-hmm. You don't have to keep seeing the same therapist. And the reason for this, and this is very important for those who are coming in, is that the most important thing for us is to actually have rapport with you. We must be able to have a, you, you must be comfortable with us as your therapist first. The way we speak to you, how we look, um, our approach. If you Only when you feel comfortable can you talk to us. Because, you know, I think for everyone, right, if you got a, like a, a, for a, you just imagine, like, you go and see your boss, right? Your boss is, I want to talk to you. The face is like black as anything, <laughs> long and sour, right? And then if you look at it, then your boss look at you with that really black face and he goes, I'm giving you a raise. <laughs> you feel happy or not? <laughs> yeah right so so that's really important like, basically like you must have be able we must be able to click with you you must be able to feel comfortable to share with us mm. uh then then you continue mm. with us. so we never you know it's not a, a marketing thing we don't have this thing where it's like you start with me you continue with me um mm. you must come for a session that kind of thing uh counseling doesn't work with, that way because it really depends on the client's motivation Mm-hmm. If the client decides like, actually, uh, I don't think I want to go. But then the therapist like, oh no, you must do six sessions. You know, it's not going to do anything, right? It's like you go to gym, but like, I'm so lazy. So I'm just going to like <laughs> sit on the bike and like go at like, <laughs> okay. like walking, walking, walking speed, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So the Nilling also have their podcast. I think Eileen is in the latest episode to so talk about working <laughs> boundaries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'll put that in the description. So whoever are interested to listen more about Eileen sharing about working boundaries, feel free to find that in the descriptions. Recruited insights are available on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and you can follow us on Instagram. I'll put the link in the description as well. Thank you, Eileen, for joining us for this episode to share her experience from banking and now very much focus on the counselings and, and mental health. <laughs> uh, hope that mental health in Malaysia will be a better place in the very near future. Thank you, Eileen. Have a nice day. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Let me start the intro first. Yeah. All right. Can no problems. Let me think. Every time when we want to start an intro, it takes a long time to be honest. It takes a lot of trial and error. Okay. I hope that I can have a template or formula, but every time it's different. I don't know why. But let's try. Okay. One second. Let me check. Okay. Can. Today we invited Eileen from the e-learning. Ah, oh, fuck. Oh, that's not. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Who does? Who, who's going to do the eating for you? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm going to cut myself. Yes. <laughs> yeah, everything can be edited. Yes, everything can be edited. Okay. Uh, Tell us about your NFT thing. I think Shuka was talking about. Oh no. Oh no. It's not Elin. <laughs> oh. I was like, what NFT? <laughs> wrong one. Like, wow, Sorry. Wrong one. <laughs> 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 okay.